Thank you, Scott, for reading our scripture, but also the diligence in handling those important matters. Luke chapter 13, we're looking at a parable this morning, and it's kind of an in-between week. We just finished our series through the book of Proverbs, and then next week we'll start a new series through the book of First and Second Kings. And so this is kind of an in-between week, and it corresponds with a time where we're kicking off a lot of our spiritual formation programs and ministries here at Millington Baptist Church, small groups, adult education, women's studies, uh, kids, youth group, young adults. Everything seems to kick off this week and uh, throughout the next seven days or so. So it's important for us to focus in during this season on this topic of spiritual formation. My title here at NBC is the pastor of spiritual formation. The most common question I get is, what does that mean? One in the world is spiritual formation. And I oftentimes will just say, well, it's this idea that God is transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And Galatians 4.19 says, Paul literally labors until Christ is formed in his disciples and his followers. And so I read an interesting book about this by Robert Mulholland uh, a little while back, recommended by Peter Pendel, where he defines spiritual formation as a process Uh, that we all go through of being formed into the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. A simple way to understand that is that uh, you have an outer person and an inner person. And so our outer you, which is being formed all the time for better or for worse, uh, is there. And in a similar way, there's an inner you with thoughts and feelings and desires and habitual patterns. And it's also being shaped all the time for better or for worse. And so that's spiritual formation. Another word for this is the term sanctification. Perhaps you're familiar with that. So as a Christian, the idea is I can ask Jesus to invite the Holy Spirit, to invite God Almighty to form my life. That's spiritual formation. That's my passion to see spiritual formation in the people of God, to see real change and healing take place in the lives of God's people. Did you know that our logo here at Millington Baptist Church is a tree? The logo, the logo is a tree on purpose because it speaks to the distinctively Christian nature of change in that it is not mechanical, it is organic in nature. It's this idea of a seed and these roots going deep into the character and love of God and this growth in fruitfulness throughout our lives. We will be like trees, the Bible says. And so that's the kind of people uh, we want to become. And so I get excited about that. I find that most people I talk to also want to see change and growth and healing in their lives as well. And so my invitation for you this morning is just one question. What is an area in your life where you have some sort of struggle? Perhaps it's a besetting sin or a habit or some sort of hurt or a hang-up or some area where you'd like to grow, you'd like to change in that one particular area. And this morning, my invitation is just invite the Holy Spirit to do a work on that part of your heart this morning. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless your word. Thank you for preserving this text with all of its truth for us today. We ask that you'd speak to your people, remove from our ears and our hearts anything that would keep us from listening very closely to you. And we ask that for Christ's sake and for his reputation. Amen. How does change happen? What's the magic? I mean, how does it really work? 
If you had an area where you wanted to change, what would you do? Would you hire a mentor? Would you get a coach? Would you join a small group? Would you join a recovery group? Would you get a therapist? Would you talk to your pastor? What would you do if you wanted to change a certain area of your life? One of my frustrations over the past 20 years of ministry is this issue right here. I started to see how other Christians, sometimes even Christian leaders, were going about this same goal of spiritual formation and change, and I was always a little disappointed with the different models that I would find out there. All of these models that I see, sometimes there's some truth to them, but they, they, they fall short. In fact, some of the models for change out there sound a little bit more like the friends of Job in the book of Job than they do the uh, New Testament and the model of spiritual formation and change that we find there. Let me give you an example. One model out there that you're probably familiar with is what I call the confronting sin model. Christian leaders say, hey, you got some problems in your life. The reason is because you got sin in your life. Now, we know that sin causes problems and sin causes pain. And we also know that's greatly involved with our lack of change and growth. But we also know that's not always the whole picture. Sometimes there's past hurts that that person has gone through or they've been abused or uh, there's sometimes other reasons why people get stuck. A second model of change out there that uh, falls short is what I call the get some more Bible information model. The truth will set you free. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the Bible. It's important. And if you don't know the scriptures, if you're illiterate about the Bible, that's a problem. You need to change that problem. But if you go back and look at that verse from John chapter 8, you will see that Jesus likens sin there to slavery. And he says, if you continue in my word, then you will know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. And so it's a little bit more of a process than just memorizing Bible verses. Information doesn't always immediately lead to transformation. A third faulty model out there that I'm very familiar with is the psychological therapeutic model. If you need to change, you need to go to counseling, you need to work on your childhood, you need to work on your family of origin issues, and that will help you get well. Now, I love counseling, and I love therapy, and I'm a firm believer in doing that kind of work. But I also see that sometimes people will end up in counseling for years, sometimes decades, without ever actually addressing uh, the egregious issues in their life, and sometimes they become victims to their past rather than the kind of victory that I read about in the pages of the New Testament. And so that has some shortcomings too. And then the last and fourth model of change out there that I think you'll notice is called the supernatural deliverance model. This is where there's a very heightened prayer meeting, maybe some laying on of hands, casting out of the demonic, and a supernatural approach to change in our lives that's instantaneous. Now, God could do that, and don't get me wrong, I believe in the supernatural, and I believe there's a time and a place for that, but I also know sometimes the devil gets credit for stuff that's not always his doing, and sometimes that model can be a little too simplistic where God wants me to go deeper and look inside of my own heart to see the origin of some of these things. So I've been disillusioned at times with these models of change that are out there. But what I've discovered is that those models are all partially right and also partially wrong. That there's a lot of truth to them, but they're missing the whole picture. And I think there's a more nuanced and complex model of change that's offered to us in the pages of the New Testament. And I'll just call it the spiritual formation model of change. To describe that to you today, I want to look at a parable. Parable, the parable was read earlier. It's from Luke chapter 13. It's called the parable of the fig tree. Some people call it the parable of the spared uh, fig tree. And in this parable, uh, we will see this uh, certain spiritual form, formation model take 
place. And I, I want to look at this parable and then give you a formula for change in your life. Now, I hate formulas. I hate formulas. So please don't misunderstand. This formula is just generic enough that it will apply to any particular area that you're thinking of. Okay, so I think this will work. The context, just to pick it up here in Luke 13, is Jesus had some folks approach him. And in verses 1 through 5, they ask him about some recent national calamities. And I don't know if you can imagine being in a nation where there's national calamities happening, but back then there was current events going on, and Pilate, the leader, had mingled some blood of the Galileans with, together with their sacrifices, and, and they want to rope Jesus into making a very political statement, probably want him, wanting him to speak against the actions of Pontius Pilate publicly. Oftentimes people will want spiritual leaders to do that kind of thing. But rather than answering their question... So often as Jesus does, he changes direction, answers their question with a question, and says, okay, that happened to them, that's a recent current event, that calamity occurred, but let me just ask you a question. Do you think that they deserve that calamity any more than you might have deserved that calamity? See, rather than making a political statement, he says, why don't you take this as a moment for spiritual reflection on your own heart? And how about your own need to repent? Can we start there? The appropriate response to these political events is to see the nature and effects of human sin that apply to each and every one of you. These things should lead us to repentance. And then he tells this famous parable. Let me just read it again for you. If you have your Bible, Luke 13, I'm in verse 6. He told them a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, well, then you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Now, a parable, you know, is just a made-up story that serves to make us a spiritual point. And whenever we read the parables, we should ask some common questions, like first, where is God in the parable? Because he's usually in there. And then secondly, where am I in the parable? Because I'm usually in there too. Where am I in this parable? I, I think the answer is that I'm the tree, but at the time, commentators will say that the tree was a very specific reference to the people of Israel, and so this fig tree image had these national overtones to it. And I believe that image can apply to other national contexts as well, other, other nations that need to turn back to God and turn in repentance uh, to God. Think about our country for a moment. I can't think of a more important moment in our country where we needed to turn to God and turn back to God in prayer. In fact, in the month of September, the last Saturday in September, there's going to be a time where Christians gather for a prayer uh, at, at, at the Washington Mall there. And so that's, a, that's a, an initiative I would encourage you to be um, supportive of and at least pray from, from where you are. We need to be turning to God as a nation in prayer during this season. But this morning, I actually want to look at this parable more on an individual level with you. And apply this to our hearts individually. So what if I am the tree? What would that look like? I want you to notice that if I'm the tree, the owner comes looking at my life, and he comes looking with what? An expectation of fruit. He expects fruit. That is a very good thing. God wants his people to be bearing fruit. 
I hope we all feel that as well. We all have parts of our lives, habits that we have, where we would like to be growing and more fruitful in those areas. And we think, I ought to be better than this by now. No matter how mature we are, there's always some area that we're still working on, going, this ought to get better. Is there anything wrong with that expectation of fruit? No, nothing wrong. The tree should have borne fruit. The tree wasn't like in a garage somewhere. It was planted in the ground for three years. It should have had figs on it. And so the owner comes frustrated. And that's kind of how we feel about our lives sometimes. We, we don't see the progress we hoped for by this time. We don't see the growth that we were hoping for. And so we also feel frustrated. And the owner for three years says, you know, that's enough is enough. What, what does he do? He says, cut it down. Cut it down. Now, I'm, inden- I'm indebted to Henry Cloud in his book, Changes That Heal, for the next observation. He says, what this is describing here is the legal response. You remember our study in the book of Romans earlier in the year, if you were here, then you know that the book of Romans says this is what the law does. It's intended to do this. Romans 7 says the law comes and condemns us. When the law is there, there's these predictable responses of condemnation and guilt and falling short and sorrow and feelings of failure and even in my own heart, feelings of I'll never get it right and I can't change in this area and there's frustrating uh, feelings. And Paul even has these feelings about himself in Romans 7, the good I want to do, I I don't do that. And, And he's feeling upset even with his own individual heart. What a wretched man that I am. And so there's, there's the legal response, the judgment response here. The owner comes in and says, cut it down. Now, many non-Christians outside the walls of this tent think this is what Christianity is. There's the standard. You've got to live up to it. If you don't, you're done. Better get your act together. Try as hard as you can. Keep on trying harder. That's actually not the gospel. Paul says the law is powerless and useless to change you in that way. Now, fortunately, the story does not end there with the owner's expectations and my falling short. An advocate steps in. The vine dresser enters into the story. And this vine dresser a skilled third party who comes from outside of this system says, hold on, let me do three things. Did you catch the three things? Number one, dig around. Number two, fertilize. Number three, give it some time. Let's take a look at the first one. Dig around. Of course, in agricultural terms, that means to loosen up the soil so that moisture can get to the roots more easily. Find out what's wrong. Remember, the Pharisees in the Bible, they would look on the outside. But what does God want for us? He wants us to dig around. He wants us to go deeper. If your car is broken, you don't take the car to the mechanic and they wash the car. No, no, no. They they open the hood. They find out what's going on and what these symptoms might be uh, manifesting as the deeper root of the problem, hopefully. If you go to a cardiologist, you don't go there for plastic surgery, right? You go there to find out what's going on in my heart, what's going on in these problems, right? I don't want to look on the outside to find out what's going on. I want to dig around and find out the problem. Now, spiritually speaking, this is what we need to do. We need to dig around. We need to be honest. We need to find out the truth. Here's really what I've been doing. Here's why I've been doing it. Here's what I say I believe. Here's apparently what I really believe because my actions are telling you what I really believe. 
Now, that's going to take some courage to dig around. That's not easy. And this is why so many Christ followers actually stay isolated. Because it's scary to dig around. We've got Christians in our churches who don't want to dig around. Christians who don't present any faults. It's like, have you gone through the fall? No, I don't think you went through it yet. You want to know if you've gone through the fall? Just open up your shirt, see if you have a belly button there. And uh, you're a sinner. We're all part of Adam's family. Okay, so we all have stuff. We all have to dig around. So since we're all in this together, can we not be allies together and support each other on paths towards spiritual growth? Uh, There's a business book out there written by Jim Collins called Good to Great. Many of you probably have read that. And he talks about companies that uh, went from good to great, successful companies, and the, the, the things that they had in common. One of the things that they had in common he calls the Stockdale Paradox. He names it after this guy, Stockdale, who was a Vietnam POW, uh, who endured that kind of treatment and eventually came out. And his secret was that he uh, was able to face brutal reality, but never lost hope. That's the Stockdale paradox. To be able to look at the cold, hard facts, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but not lose hope. That's digging around. I thought that's a great principle for the spiritual life, too. We need to dig around, but not lose hope. For those of you who are small group leaders this fall, or adult ed teachers, or women's study leaders, let me ask you, can you please create an environment where it's safe for your brothers and sisters to dig around and look at areas where we need to look at them? Why? So we can grow. True story about a guy named Stan doesn't go to this church. Stan had an anger problem. He had these uncontrollable outbursts of rage. So one day he joined a small group and he decided to dig around and actually address this issue in his heart. The group accepted Stan and gave him some space just to be honest and dig around about what was going on. Turns out after he dug around, Stan found the underlying cause to all of that anger was the fact that he was incredibly lonely and the way he decided to correct his loneliness was he would always do favors for people all of the time and he could never say no to other people. And so he had this low-grade fever of anger all of the time. The group helped him dig around, get to the root of that sin. He became accepted by the group, became stronger and was able to be more assertive and say no when he needed to. And over time, he started to relax his temper. Now, that wouldn't have been possible if he didn't have the courage to first dig around. Step one, dig around. Let me just ask you before we go to step two, what area in your life do you need to dig around? What area in your life has some weeds in the soil, some rocks in the soil, some areas in your heart where you know you need to dig them up? Where is there some sin or some false beliefs or some habits that you need to dig around and address? Dig around. Step two, fertilize. Did you notice what the vine dresser uses to fertilize this fig tree? I know in these hallowed halls, we shouldn't speak of such things, but the unpleasant substance that he decides to choose to use to grow this tree is manure. Have you looked back in your life and realized that the times where you've grown and The times that have shaped you have been the difficult times, the times with adverse circumstances. Can anybody relate to 2020 throwing some manure around your life at a little bit of of manure that's caused uh, some shaking in our lives? 
2020 has been difficult for a lot of us. It's especially been difficult for, for us. I mean, my wife lost her mother, then we almost lost her father. We had the transition of one of our kids getting married and transition for our other kids with their school. And then my wife uh, got put on furlough with her job because of COVID. And it's just been a very difficult year. A lot of manure happening all around us this year. Can anybody relate to 2020 providing some manure in your life? Yes. I saw a meme on the internet the other day that said if 2020 was a scented candle, and then it had these porta potties like lit on fire, just blazing all around. That's about right. That's about right. Manure. But I also wouldn't be telling you the whole story about the year 2020 in my life if I also didn't tell you that it's been a year of incredible spiritual growth and opportunities for God to teach me some lessons that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. And so this morning, I wonder if we could just flip the script as we approach the end of 2020. I'm not trying to minimize the difficulty. I know it's been difficult. But what if this is the year where we finally grew in that area that God has been nudging us to grow in that area, and now we finally decided to dig around and address that area? Now, remember in this parable, you're not the owner. You're not the vine dresser. You're not even a human being in this parable. You are the tree. Everything you need to grow comes from outside of you. You need outside resources in order for you to manifest fruit. If a car runs out of gas, you know, it doesn't have the gas it needs to put the gas in. You need resources from outside of you in order to get you where you need to go, in order to change. Christianity teaches the same exact thing. This world will tell us that if there's a problem, it's always outside of you and the answer's inside of you. But the Christianity steps in and says, no, 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 no. If you have problems, it comes from inside of you. And if you're ever to have hope at all, it's going to come from the outside of you. And so this God who provides adverse circumstances in our life and sometimes allows manure to surround us also provides the nutrients and the water and the nutrition of the gospel and says, I will never leave you in that situation. I will be with you always. I know the sin of your heart. I know you to the depths of who you are. It's actually worse than you even know about at this point. But I also love you beyond anything you could ever imagine. I sent my son to die for you, and I will never let you go if you place your trust in me. That is the outside resources we all need to produce fruit. The gospel is not just the beginning of the Christian life. It is how we also grow in the Christian life. I love the way author Jen Wilkins says it. She says, don't reduce gospel-centered to justification-centered. The good news is more than our freedom from sin's penalty. It's also our progression from sin's power and our ultimate freedom from sin's presence. Justification, sanctification, and glorification are all the gospel. In other words, God saves me by his grace, but he also grows me by his grace. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I need outside resources to fertilize me, to take me to fruitfulness. Step one, dig around. Step two, fertilize. Step two, what? Step three is give it time. Give it some time. What does the vine dresser say? Give it another year. Christian growth, Christian change, spiritual formation is not instantaneous. It grows like a tree grows. It's organic. It progresses slowly. You get better, but it takes time. It's like if you work out for six months and you run 5Ks every day, at the end of the six months, you're, you're faster, but you don't necessarily feel faster. 
It just kind of happens. It, you grow and you don't even notice sometimes. That's the nature of organic growth. That's the nature of Christian change too. It happens over time. It's a process. It's not instant. We take the fertilizer of this gospel, we put it around our roots, and we see over time, not instantaneously, but over time, new growth will come. New fruit in this area. New levels of maturity will come. But I want you to see something. In this parable, there is an urgency about it. I wouldn't be being honest with you if I didn't also look at this parable and tell you you don't have forever. There is a finite time given here for this tree, and this tree has one more year to look at these things. This tree, it's not going to like go on forever and ever and ever, right? There's a moment, there's an opportunity to look at this stuff and address it. Now, don't misunderstand this to think that God is impatient. I love how R.C. Sproul says it. He says, here Jesus describes the frustration of the owner of a vineyard who had invested in a fig tree, had nurtured it, had cared for it. But for three consecutive years, it had failed to bear fruit. The owner had been patient. He had waited three full seasons and still it had no return on his investment. And so he said, all right, one more year. There's an urgency here that I don't think that we should miss. We have time, but we don't have unlimited time. Yes, God is patient, but the scriptures also teach that there is a limit to God's patience. He's slow to anger, but he does get angry. And there is a time where this plant could get ripped up. We don't have forever, so we have to take this call to fruit bearing seriously. It's not that it's too late now, but for this fig tree, it's almost too late. And so let me just encourage you just with a spirit of urgency to take a look at those areas where God is nudging you. We don't actually know how this story ends with the fig tree. It's a little bit of a cliffhanger. We don't know if the fig tree got turned around and the fig tree bore fruit after that fourth year. We, and I think Jesus leaves it open-ended on purpose to say, how will you handle those opportunities in your life? How will you handle the difficulties and tragedies and all of the stuff that's going around you. Back in the first century, there was that political turmoil back then that they were dealing with. Yes, tragedy is hard. Yes, life is short. Anybody who's experienced 2020 goes, amen. But Jesus says, what's even more tragic is if you don't right now turn to God. And so the question I have to ask myself with this third point is, what am I doing with the time that he has given me? The psalmist says, teach me to number my days that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. I don't want to waste them. I don't know how much time I have left, nor do you. One of the things we do with our kids is we play board games. And one of my dad's favorite games is Risk. Any Risk fans out there? There's always a couple. And then, yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Now, they don't often like to play this game with me. It usually takes some prodding and some cajoling because it's not that enjoyable to play risk with dad. When that board gets in front of me, something changes. Something happens. I turn from a loving, merciful, patient shepherd father that I am into a competitive, ruthless, conquering tyrant. I don't care if you are my own precious daughter. I am coming after you. I intend to take over. When you're out, I set my sights on the next daughter. 
I can be quite obnoxious with the game of Risk. It's always a little sad for me when the game of Risk is over. Everything's got to go back in the box. The game is over. The army's got to go back. The card's got to go back. Even the dice has to go back. And then in the most distressing moment of all, we close the box. Game over. There's a day that will come in your life where you're going to be at the front of a church and they're going to close the box. Game over. And people are going to come up and they're going to talk about you. And when they talk about you, because I've been to so many of these, they're not going to talk about your 401k. And they're not going to talk about your sales at work. And they're not going to talk about how much you know about baseball. They're going to talk about the fruitfulness in your life. They're going to talk about how you loved your family. They're going to talk about the kind of person you were at church. But that doesn't happen by accident. Those steps are intentional. Spiritual formation has an intentional component to it. And we have responsibilities. And some of these things, they are our choice. And so the question we have to ask is, what are we doing with the time we have? What are those areas in my life that are not bearing fruit that I need to address? Am I willing to dig around and add fertilizer and give them some intentional time? My challenge is, can we make 2020 the year of unprecedented spiritual growth? Do you have a place, do you have an environment where you can go in the context of grace and truth and work on change and healing and growth in your spiritual life? Who are those people around you that are willing to be allies together with you in this project of spiritual formation? There are several opportunities kicking off in our church for this exact purpose. We have a couple of adult education classes starting next Sunday. We have nine different small groups on our website. Check out the website and see if you might want to join one of those groups. Uh, We have so many different women's studies that are starting this Tuesday. We have children's classes and we have young adult groups and we have a variety of different ministries that are kicking off this week that are just there for you to help you in your spiritual formation. Would you be willing to take advantage of that? Let's make 2020 not the year when everything fell apart, but the year where we go, you know what? That was the year when I finally got serious about this area and God caused me to grow in a new area of fruitfulness in my life like never before. That's my prayer, and that's my heart for us this fall. I invite you to join me in that effort. Can we pray together? I would invite you to stand as we pray to the Lord God and close this service. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving this text. Lord Jesus, thank you for sharing this parable. Thank you for causing us to reflect on those areas of our lives that don't have the kind of fruit that we would like them to have. Thank you for being the advocate vine dresser to come and help us to dig around, and help us to add fertilizer. And thank you for being patient with us by giving us some more time. But now would you find us diligent, and would you find us to be intentional, and would you find us to be using the time that you've given us to live fruitful lives for you. We ask this for Christ's sake and for his reputation. Amen.